0: Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline.
1: And I'm your other host, Jane.
0: And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, as always, we're continuing The Lost Hero.
1: We will be continuing The Lost Hero for a while yet, I think, even though it seems like we're at the end of the book.
0: I think like another month, at least.
1: <laughs> Chunky book.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh. How are you doing today, Jane?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm... Um... As as you know, on this podcast, we love books, we love reading. Uh, and while I was at the shop today, I I found a signed copy of all three books in the Red Queen's War trilogy.
0: Sounds like some nerd shit.
1: It is some nerd shit. It's it's a very good series about the world's shittiest prince refusing to undergo character development. Uh, we love that. We do. And I've I brought them home, and I am expressing my love for reading the way I do with all the books on my shelf now, uh, which is that they are stacked under my microphone.
0: <laughs> Hell yes, the highest honor.
1: <laughs> How are you today, Jacqueline?
0: Oh, uh, you know what? I'm doing okay. I uh, had my my first solo shift last night at my job. Uh, oh, so- clo- oh god. Closing. Uh, I, you oh. know, I had some I had some help from coworkers, but it was it was just me. And largely, and, uh, I, I was a little bit broken afterwards. Understandable. I had, I had a big, bo- I was like, Oh, I'm so hungry. I'll have a big bowl of cocoa puffs and honey nut. Like it was not honey nut, but like peanut butter oats and O's, the generic Cheerios. And I was like, Oh, maybe it'll taste like a Reese's or something. Uh, and then I had the jitters for the rest of the night because I hadn't eaten properly. Jacqueline, <laughs> that's
1: not, that's not a meal.
0: it. It's kind of a meal. It's got calories on <laughs> it. But then this morning I woke up and I feel mostly okay. So I'm excited to do it again after podcasting.
1: No, eat some food properly.
0: I will, I will. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know if I've ever talked about my setup here. I'm I've got my microphone, my my lovely little what what do we got? Snowballs? Blue snowballs, yeah. Our blue snowballs. Uh stacked on top of two crates of like art supplies. So like I just got this perched on top of, like, matte paints.
1: Ooh, what have you got art supplies for?
0: Uh, it, it's Kiara's.
1: Ah. Painting is very cool. IMO.
0: Definitely. And speaking of things that are cool, mountains are kind of cool. Uh, Do you want to uh, give us those summaries today?
1: Uh, I will do that. Chapter 37, Jason. As the gang heads up the slopes to Aeolus's palace, Jason tries to deal with his insecurity about Thalia. Even though he knows it's not entirely rational, he feels resentful that she moved on from him and found a new family among the hunters of Artemis. This isn't helped by the fact that everything he's learned about his mother was pretty terrible. As far as Jason can tell, she functionally sold him. He pushes those feelings down to worry about his friends, especially Piper, who's still anxious over the revelations from the last readings, and Leo, who's worried about he's going to spontaneously combust again. Overall, the group is just a bit of a mess at the minute. Finally, they arrive at Aeolus' palace, a huge Greek building covered in satellite dishes and signs reading Olympian Weather Channel scattered all around. Greeting up at the door is Meli, a type of wind spirit called an aura, who turns out to be Aeolus's assistant. She asks the group if they are from Zeus, and Jason figures that being the guy's kid qualifies him for that. Meli is delighted and takes them to see Aeolus. Chapter 38, Jason. The kids are led into a huge room with no floor in the middle, necessitating a bunch of harpies who also work in the bustling palace to build one for them. The floor takes them out to a floating ball of screens, at the centre of which lies Aeolus. His vibe is very much old, heavily Botox newscaster, and he's extremely twitchy and erratic. Weirder still, he seems to know Jason, who apparently passed through here a year ago on a quest to fight a sea monster. They finally make the exchange, the captured Venti and Piper's bag in exchange for Aeolus rescinding his kill on site directive for demigods as well as giving them some information. Aeolus doesn't even remember giving this order until Jason prompts him, and he writes it off as just being grumpy at the time, before recalling that it almost felt like something was telling him to give that order, a creepy feeling at the back of his neck. Before they can discuss that further, Aeolus needs to do his weather report, which he apparently has to deliver every 12 minutes. He grows more and more stressed and frantic as he tries to accurately convey what's going on, even though the weather is being constantly changed by the whims of the various gods, often even overriding one another's changes. Jason realises that this job has driven him completely insane. After his off-air, Aeolus reveals why he was expecting someone from Zeus. He thought someone was being sent to renegotiate his contract so that he doesn't have to do this awful job anymore. Or at least get a promotion from Immortal Master of the Winds to just straight up God of the winds, because that would at least come with better benefits. When it turns out they're just here for help with a quest, he flips out, saying that the only reason kids like Jason ever darken his doorstep is to get help with quests. By kids like Jason, he does not, in fact, mean demigods generally, but specifically the demigod line springing from Aeneas, a son of Venus who survived the Greek invasion of Troy and went on to found Rome. He also gives the kids some mementos from their past that were lost in the winds. For Piper, a picture of herself and her dad that should be in his wallet, and for Leo, the old crayon drawing of a boat with a dragon head, which Aeolus offhandedly calls the key to their success. Jason tells him that there could be a promotion in it for him if he helps, and Aeolus begrudgingly agrees, especially as Zeus, Aphrodite, and Hephaestus are all somehow in agreement for once and yelling at him through his news anchor earpiece to help. He tells them that he doesn't know where the wolf house is, but he does know that Enceladus is under Diablo Mountain in the Bay Area. He's about to summon some winds to take them there when he hears something new through his earpiece. While he doesn't tell the gang who it is, he does tell them what they said. The kids have to die. The floor dissolves beneath them, but Melly, the air spirit has taken a shine to Coach Hedge, and saves them from dying, before blasting them off in a gust of wind so powerful that the G-Force makes Jason black out. Chapter 39. Piper. Piper has a dream about one of her fake memories of her relationship with Jason at Wilderness School, before being pulled into a vision by Aphrodite. The two are in Medea's department store, clothes shopping together. Aphrodite explains that the reason Piper is having more trouble getting over her fake memories than Leo is because, as a child of Aphrodite, she understands possibility better than most people. Love is, after all, what drives people to create new possibilities, so her children will always have a gift for seeing it. Aphrodite also warns her that Medea and all of their other enemies will be back as the sleeping woman has opened the doors of death and is gathering as many evil mortals as she can. She also seems to have some kind of special understanding with Tartarus, the spirit of the pit, who is spitting the monsters back out faster than ever. Piper also discovers that Aphrodite never actually told her dad that she was a goddess, as she believed it would be too cruel to let him understand just how much he lost when she left him. This segues nicely into her handing Piper a glowing pink roofie, which he implores her to give to her father after he's been rescued, so that he forgets all the terrible tortures he experienced while he was a hostage. Despite Piper's suspicions, it's nothing to do with maintaining secrecy or anything like that. Aphrodite is actually just worried that, for a guy who has already been carrying around so much sadness and baggage, what he's been through might have been enough to break him, and by turns break Piper. Piper asks Aphrodite to tell her about the sleeping woman, and Aphrodite decides that Piper's will is strong enough to handle hearing the truth. She talks about her own personal history as the last child of Gaia and Uranus, the earth and sky, which technically makes her the oldest Olympian. Piper twigs that Gaia must be the sleeping woman, as uh, Uranus was thrown to Tartarus when Cronus killed him, and that would explain the special relationship that she has with him. Aphrodite warns that Gaia needs to be lulled back to sleep, or things are just going to continue breaking down until all of civilization collapses. The only way to do this is for Piper to mediate between the two sides who, without her, will undoubtedly come to blows. Chapter 40. Piper. Piper comes to outside a sunny cafe in San Francisco with the rest of the gang, who have all received glow-ups from Aphrodite. Hedge tells Piper that Melly broke their fall with a gust of wind, so they've all arrived unharmed and they decide the cut time has come to make a move on Enceladus, as it's the morning of the solstice. Piper informs the gang that they're going up against Gaia, which panics Coach Hedge a little, but they remain resolved as they prepare to set up off Diablo Mountain. So, what do you think of these chapters?
0: I feel like these were, like, the most Lightning Thief chapters we've ever gotten in The Last Hero.
1: Oh, definitely. I, I, Several parallels and just things that had Lightning Thief vibes.
0: Like, this is... It feels like we're fully in the swing of like after a a, a bit of a fumble with fucking Lycaon this is mm-hmm. what I want to see from our, our our villains I want the weird newscaster guy
1: uh yeah this is this is everything that was missing last week with him the werewolf guy just being played straight Aeolus is eg- exactly as like Weird and creepy and unhinged, but still recognizably mythological in the way that you want the the, the encounter in Eric ride and book to be,
0: yeah, exactly i yeah, I enjoyed these a lot. I think that this this was a set of pages that really had me like, well, I guess what this primarily is is like we get our our big re- villain reveal, which is you know has been very heavily foreshadowed too mm-hmm. and we're we're on this is I would say like we're on the final steps now
1: yeah this very much felt like this book's um, Procrustes waterbed shop
0: I always forget that came so late in that book
1: yeah it was like they, they run out of there and then straight into Hades right
0: yeah after getting mugged by teenagers and Percy tries to kill one of them
1: <laughs> uh Percy I miss him I, I also miss him. The next book's named after him, so hopefully we should be all right.
0: It could be some other son of Neptune.
1: That's true. But yeah, Aeolus is like... He's a, he's a great character, I think, because he's like... He is a complete dickhead, but he also like has enough of a legitimate grievance that it's not annoying. Like, you, you can see why he's so fucking annoyed and unhinged all of the time, because he has to do this horrible job.
0: Yeah, like, we get introduced to him, and he's... Well, first of all, we get our initial impressions from, like, the encounter with Boreas. Like, oh, Aeolus, he commanded that all demigods be slain on sight. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, oh, this guy's gonna be terrifying. But then you get to him, and he's, like, a fucking plastic man. He's made of, like, pure silicone and, like, Botox. And He's, he's fucking just
1: Kent Brockman from The Simpsons.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and... He's just, like, so flighty and, like, unhinged, like you said, that it's just, like, really fun to, like, just, like, see him flit around from mood to mood, but you can also see exactly, like, how he would be influenced by, I guess, who we now know as Gaia, because, Mm -hmm. like, he constantly has the voices of gods in his ear talking to him anyway, (laughs) Uh, So, like, just that one extra voice certainly is able to easily slip in there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's... He gave off a vibe to me of, like, a, a character that I feel like is an insult to compare him to because he's quite fun and his character's quite shit. But I, I read a lot of his dialogue in the voice of uh, Varric from Legend of Korra.
0: Oh, God, yeah, no, that's... Because that's he, good... he, that,
1: he has that same kind of, like fast-paced, very, like, mood-swingy kind of way of communicating, except he's actually funny and not a complete shithel.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, the part where he's like, oh, let's send the demigods something nice to make up for it. And Mellie is just like, all-, all the demigods, sir? And he's like, no, much too expensive.
1: Forget it. Like, that's that's just great. Yeah, there's that bit. There's the part where, he, um, where uh, he's saying, no, I have no idea where to find Juno. And... Um, jason replies well uh we know that she's somewhere at the called the wolf house and he like pretends to talk into his earpiece and goes breaking news it turns out that juno is somewhere called the wolf house i don't know where that is
0: (laughs) yeah he's just very funny and like i don't know it's so everything about this is great I adore the, like... Well, first of all, you're super right. He has this legitimate grievance that he just, like, doesn't have a proper place in the mythology. Mm-hmm. Like, this is another instance of, like... He, he's not a god. He's not, like, fully a spirit. He, he's not really fully anything in that kind of, like, uncertain position. We know that having too uncertain a position will, like, literally get you erased or, like, sidelined in this world. Yeah. And... So, But he has the hardest fucking job in the world
1: also. Yeah, I feel like one of the things that we really get from these chapters is, like, we kind of knew that Zeus was going back on some of what he'd said already. But this is, like, full confirmation that Percy did not fix everything.
0: Yeah, like, there were improvements, but the gods aren't just going to, like, lay back and let you make things better.
1: Yeah, it... <laughs> The way this reads to me is honestly, like, Percy made it so that Zeus had to swear not to, like, exploit and mistreat the minor gods. So what has happened is, like, all of the stuff that the minor gods used to have to eat shit for got dumped on a bunch of other people who serve the same function, they're just not called minor gods.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. (laughs) Like, it's, it's this really weaselly way of doing it, and that feels very appropriate
1: for who we know Zeus is. Absolutely. I'm like, I'm, I'm reading this, and I know we joke a lot about um, Percy going Kratos mode.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But I feel like if this keeps happening, it may actually be a natural progression for the series.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the, It's just so fascinating to think about, like, how, like, because we know there's Hephaestus TV,
1: right? Yeah, he's got, and- well, he's got his pirate radio station. Well,
0: he's got his pirate radio station, but he also has his, like, cucking TV channel. Oh, God, I forgot about
1: the cucking TV channel.
0: <laughs> but also, we know that Zeus is, like, the lord of the airwaves, so he can, like, intercept radio signals.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But Aeolus is, like, the lord of the winds and the air, so he... Airs on television, I don't know this just like series of like almost puns that create this like weird piece of lore that there is just this entertainment complex is
1: utterly amazing to me yeah it's it's the exact kind of like slightly wacky, doesn't 100% make sense but it's kind of not supposed to world building that you expect from this series
0: it also harkens back to honestly like a very fundamental part of just, like, most mythologies in a way that we haven't fully gotten yet, Mm -hmm. which is the idea that, hey, why is the weather so weird? Why is it always changing? Oh, it must be the gods fighting. Yeah. And that is, like, literalized in a way here that it hasn't been before in the series, that it's literally just them constantly, like, Poseidon is mad at Miami for some reason. Like, I... I don't know why, it it feels like in a different book, I mean, maybe in this book even, that would be like, usually for this series, that would be like foreshadowing for something. Uh-huh. But like, it's just like, oh, Zeus hates St. Louis this week, fuck them. And <laughs> I don't know, it's
1: We already very... blew up their arch when we were fighting Typhon, but they haven't suffered enough yet.
0: <laughs> God, yeah.
1: I, I also just love that this is like, because most of what we get from the gods is like, kind of inside the the masquerade of, like, the Greek, like, substrata of America. Like, they're, they're either getting in the way on quests or maybe helping out on quests or just kind of sitting around in Olympus eating peanuts. And this is kind of, like, the first really major example we've seen of how, like... Oh, no, the Greek gods are actually, like, the gods of America, kind of. Like, they yeah. affect the lives of mortals outside of just, like... And getting randomly killed in a monster attack.
0: Yeah, like this is. You're right that this is kind of unprecedented for the series. Like there are moments like this, obviously, but we do largely just see the. This actually feels. This is kind of weird to say. This reminds me of the Lightning Thief. No, sorry, no. This reminds me of the Lightning Thief movie. Uh-huh. With uh, <laughs> Nathan Fillion Hermes.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, that was a uh, that was Sea of Monsters. I think
0: that was Sea of Monsters. Okay. We're like. <laughs> Where like he's just he runs Amazon.
1: He just has the big Amazon warehouse that everybody's package goes through.
0: And like he just the, the fact that like this is the same level of like, oh yeah, Hermes runs all of the shipping in the world. And that like, I don't know. This feel that feels similar to this.
1: Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. I'm I'm sure Rick Ryden would be very pleased to hear us accusing him of taking inspiration from those movies. <laughs>
0: Oh God, do do we want to talk about Melly? I yeah sure. I don't
1: think there's a lot to her.
0: It's mostly to her is that like, she's she shows up. She becomes an ally. She's like she's an indicator of like another bit of Alice's like very back and forth nature in that she like. Is the longest running of his personal assistant auras In that she runs She's gone like 12 hours Which First <laughs> of all I don't know if that means that he's constantly firing them Or like literally murdering them I I wasn't sure what the implication was
1: I, ju- I kind of assumed it was murder If I'm being honest
0: I, I felt that way too But then like it seemed like she didn't die so easily at the end Um But Mostly it's like the little romance thing She has going on with Coach Hedge
1: She's extremely horny for the weird murdery goat man.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> and and
1: yeah, he seems to reciprocate, so good for them.
0: Good for them. It's kind of weird that she's described as, like, maybe looking 16. But <laughs> and <laughs> I then think that's,
1: like, that's just there to make it less creepy that she flirts with Jason a little. I guess so. I
0: Yeah, I didn't think about that. It's like, oh, she looks like she could be 16 or 30, which is, like, a real type of person, sure. Mm-hmm. But, like that also is I don't know it's like and then she hooks up with Grandpa Hedge I'm not supposed to think about it this much but you know
1: yeah I mean all the characters whenever this comes up just very quickly change the subjects I think we're expected to do the same
0: yeah Piper like vomiting like pretending to vomit <laughs> in her mouth and they start flirting is very good we should probably talk about the character who like these chapters these first two chapters are from the point of view of probably yeah Uh, Jason this week. I know last week we were kind of like talking about the move of not showing Jason's feelings immediately. How do we Mm -hmm. feel
1: about the payoff on this? Uh... I mean, this is pretty much what I expected the payoff to be, but in a good way. I guess I... I like that he... I feel like this is actually starting to give me a better impression of who Jason is and almost kind of why he's a bit of a charisma vacuum. Like... The... The the immediate reaction he has to finding everything out from Thalia is that he is he's bitter that she seems to have moved on without him, and then immediately stamps down on that feeling as hard as he can. Uh-huh. And like, in in one sense, yeah, it is technically it's an unreasonable thing to feel, but Jason's response to that is not to like work through that, it's to like force himself to stop feeling anything. Yes. And that's like it's kind of feeling more and more as if Jason's entire thing is like stamping down his feelings stamping down his wants and needs to make himself like more of a, a usable tool for the mission whatever the mission may be
0: which really Whilst- makes you wonder about his background
1: yeah again I feel like I feel like this would be perfect for laying the groundwork for him being a fucking winter soldier sleeper agent but whatever uh
0: huh <laughs> <laughs> no you're you're completely right, you're completely right in a different world. I mean maybe in the no I guess I guess we know that that's not true anymore uh-huh. but it, it it's very compelling. I like the metaphor he uses of like he learned more about his mom, but that doesn't make him that makes him feel worse, and he specifically compares it to like being handed a really loud, ugly crying baby that he has to carry <laughs> around for the rest of his life and I just, I don't know, I really enjoy that, like, comparison. I don't know. Yeah, there's,
1: there's just something weird and sad about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it, it it fits. It perfectly describes it somehow. It, it fits with learning. Again, your mum basically sold you. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I feel like this this is kind of why he is kind of a bit dull, and this might end up actually being worked into his character and maybe even be part of his arc. Is that he like he's not making his own decisions at any point. hmm Like he basically gets bullied into doing the quest by Chiron. And he's like he's he's talking about how he doesn't want to be like the bridge between whatever the two sides are. But he's still like going along with this whole thing. <laughs> he's still just sucking it up and doing it. So I, I wonder if like him being quite passive in that way is something that is like gonna form part of an arc later on
0: that's actually exactly what i was thinking of because yeah. comparing main characters um or like you know quote unquote main characters he's if on the cover if we're making the parallel between percy and jason here is i guess what i mean percy is a very active main character
1: yeah 100 percent.
0: and jason is you're right passive like he he's getting thrown he wakes up he's kind of just like he's basically being thrown around by life in a very literal way sometimes. <laughs> and he's not like, Oh, I should go do this because I'm like compelled by a motivation. Really? He's like, okay, you're telling me to go do this. I guess I will. And he has motivations towards that. Sure. But also he's not like, he's not seeking it out necessarily.
1: Yeah. I think we, we even talked about this more as a complaint in some of the uh, earlier episodes were like, His only real, like, driving motivation to do this quest is wanting to get his memories back. And that is a very, like, generic, not particularly characterful thing for him to want. And kind of with this in mind, it almost feels more like him trying to rationalize it. Mm -hmm. Like, of course I need to do this quest that everybody is yelling at me to do. I need to get my memories back.
0: Yeah, this is... Talking about this is making Jason, like, 100% more interesting to me.
1: I really hope that we're not just reading too much into this.
0: I don't know. I feel like it's the subtext that's there at least.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: It, it informs the reading. Mm-hmm. I we also find out that he's like a hardened like quester. Like he's been he's been questing
1: for a few years at least.
0: This is the kind of
1: shit that you need to do with like an amnesiac character like this. Is like just throwing in weird little details about who they used to be. Because like we we learn what, what Aelus tells us is Jason passed through here a year ago going to fight a sea monster and that, that tells us so much but leaves us with so many more questions like okay the theory that he was like just a loner who survived by sheer luck that's dead in the water because like if he was on his own he wouldn't have had the resources or the really the motivation to go on a quest so there must be somewhere that he went but we don't know where that is or like what the deal with it is at this point
0: Yeah, exactly. Or, I mean, the opposite is the idea that he somehow did go, like, he was just going it alone this whole time. And he (laughs) just, like, is fucking cool enough to do a solo quest like that. Uh, Probably not, but
1: that's also kind of interesting. That would be interesting. It would also kind of clash a little with what we're picking up about him kind of being shunted along through life. Yes, like yes, if, he, if he was out wanting to kill sea monsters by himself, I feel like he'd be a much more active character, although that would also be extremely cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that would make him our Kratos for the, for the series. <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting because we learned that Zeus actually like Zeus is keeping a pretty close eye on on them. Like he acted like Zeus, Aphrodite and Hephaestus all come into ALS's ear to be like, help them, don't don't kill them, just help them along. And that is fascinating to me.
1: Screaming at him in the loudest Discord voice chat in history.
0: Uh huh. (laughs) Like this moment of unity between their parents is something that we haven't really seen before, and especially coming from Zeus is, I don't know. Like I, I guess I got the impression that Zeus like was only half aware of this, but I it it would make sense they're constantly monitoring it.
1: I mean this. I do like this moment, I do kind of feel like it also sweeps the stakes out from under the book, in a way. Uh Uh-huh. Just because, like, the whole thing was supposed to be they have to recover Hera before the winter solstice, otherwise the gods are going to know if she's missing and immediately start fighting amongst themselves. Uh, But it kind of seems like everybody already knows that she's missing. Mm -hmm. Everyone they've run into so far knows. Zeus, Aphrodite, and Hephaestus all clearly know. And they all, like, run in different circles and have probably told everyone they know about it.
0: Yeah. So it,
1: it kind of makes the whole time limit thing feel weird and arbitrary in a way that the story doesn't seem to acknowledge. It's still being treated as a hard limit.
0: That's true. It It's another one of those good reasons that maybe the fucking winter solstice thing can just be (laughs) put in the box.
1: Uh, But especially
0: because we literally get Zeus like forgetting that tomorrow is the winter solstice. He's like, well, do rest you in a few days so that I can have my vacation. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. (laughs) God. (laughs) I I guess the reading here, like maybe all the other gods somehow don't know, but it is strange. Yeah. Like I, I suppose this... This is supposed to feel more magical. Like there is the magic will eventually just break, and because like and because Hera slash Juno isn't there, they just will sort of inevitably start clashing. Um, but it does just feel weird that it's not like it's so well known. I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean that. that I mean, do you want to use this as a, a moment to maybe segue into the Piper chapters?
0: Yeah, that's a good idea.
1: Because we, we hear a lot about like Gaia's plans here. Mm-hmm. In terms of Gaia's plans, like I really like how um, the impl- all the implications about this doomsday really distinguish it from what Kronos was doing. Because Kronos' whole deal seemed to be take over Olympus in a war of subjugation and then take over the world from there. And Gaia's deal seems to be because she's literally the Earth just destabilize reality and make everything more and more fucked up until civilization literally cannot continue and everyone dies. Yeah. Like, it's a it's almost Lovecraftian which kind of jives with, like, the fact that she's fighting them while asleep, which is sick as fuck.
0: This is, like, um, there's a really common saying that goes around. People are, like, you know, humans are destroying the Earth and people respond, like, hey, you know, people aren't destroying the Earth. The Earth will survive. People are destroying, destroying themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and this feels a lot like, "Hey, the Earth will survive, the Earth is the fucking earth, Gaia it will you know can take whatever like because their ultimate goal isn't even to like defeat her, it's to put her back to sleep, yeah, you can't fucking kill her no, and that makes it such an interesting villain. I have to go back to Apophis here <laughs> <laughs> God because damn it. because she." There are so many comparisons you can draw. I suppose you're right, yeah. Like, this...
1: <sighs> maybe they will actually kill her. Uh,
0: maybe. I mean, they, that's what they fucking do to Apophis. <laughs> uh, and, like, like it's the fact that, like, she is... She's not... You're right, like, she's not trying to conquer anything. And her methods are... Like, Kronos' thing was that he was an incredible, like, strategist. Uh, mm. Like, he just set up these ridiculous plans... But Apophysis thing was that he would like influence people. It would like whisper in people's ears and like infest their minds, basically. And Gaia seems to be really leaning towards that side of things. With like every, pretty much every single character we've seen has somehow been influenced by by Gaia.
1: That's that's definitely true. Although I actually I do want to draw attention to one thing about um, uh, Aeolus being manipulated. What's that? So. He gets a call in his earpiece from Gaia telling him to kill the kids. However, when he describes uh, giving the kill order for the demigods, that's not what happened. Uh What happened was he felt a weird kind of scratching at the back of his neck and like something pushing him to do that. Mm. Kind of playing on a grievance that he already had and making it worse and more exaggerated. Which, uh, that's entirely what chronos did that was how he operated 100 percent. yeah that's i mean luke castellan exactly i mean it's, it's everything about how like Ares was manipulated as well that's how it was described when he was like trying to figure out why he didn't take the master bolt for himself that's true that's very true i And i'm, I'm side-eyeing this and being like chronos is he things is he oh fuck is he like I don't know is he maybe like coming back as a separate villain with his own motivations and maybe won't be on the same side as Gaia.
0: We know, but also could be on the same side as Gaia because she he's like her favorite son or whatever. Mm-hmm, Mhm. That is true. Like she fucking gave him his
1: cool sickle. I guess, I guess what what I what I mean more mean is that I the, the the dream that I always have with these books which is never completely realized is multiple fully developed factions of villains.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I
1: am, I'm like, please, please, Rick, just a crumb, a crumb of multi-faction villains.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're getting a, there'll be something here because we, I, <laughs> sorry to draw King Chronicles comparisons again. <laughs> we sort of got like this conflict between the house of life and the fuck, what were they, like the 21st gnome? Where the House of Life acted as like Both allies and enemies At various yeah. points to the Brooklyn House kids And I, This feels like it could be building Into something like that Because there's supposed to be some other There's supposed to be some other side That Piper I guess is supposed to mediate between
1: That's true yeah Although I suspect that's gonna be like Other Roman demigods Is my cold shot for that I
0: mean that would make sense but that could still operate in that way.
1: That's true. So, listen, one one of these days, I'm gonna I'm gonna write my own dream version of the ride and verse, where like Sadie and Carter got more time during Throne of Fire by making a deal with like Kronos' shattered corpse, and <laughs> allowed him to like reform himself with Egyptian magic. So now he's lurking in the background if he was of Olympus.
0: That'd be pretty fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> but. That's kind of awesome. Uh. I mean, that, I guess that's also, like, that would really make it feel like a, a, a unified universe. That's also just, like, too many books to ask any kid to read, though, I guess.
1: that That is a fair point. I say while also pointing a gun at you and telling you to read the Cosmere.
0: Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Jane is always pointing a gun at me during these pods. I don't know if people realize that. We record in the same room and she's always like, her finger's on the trigger. She's just like trying very, she's just got the, the willpower to not press it. Exactly.
1: And obviously we swap when we're recording nectar of the pods and we're talking about Homestuck. Of that's course. When, of that's course. when Jacqueline has allowed the gun.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> Every podcasting studio needs <laughs> one gun.
1: <laughs> I like how I said, let's segue into the Piper chapter and then we both immediately went back to the other chapters. We did, we did.
0: <laughs> now let's 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 actually talk about the Piper chapters though, because Piper, I I want to just immediately start off with how her first chapter opens.
1: Piper is going through it.
0: She was living in a fucking John Green novel in her memories. Oh with my Jason. god! Like,
1: that's
0: that's exactly what this feels like to me.
1: You can't just say these things.
0: What I'm re- If Rick Riordan wrote like teen coming-of-age romance
1: books they would be john, john green books jacqueline rick ryden already wrote teen coming-of-age books where one of the teens had cancer it was called the kane chronicles oh
0: my fucking god you're right <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i mean i guess this is this this doesn't have all the weirdest traits of john green books uh but this is just, true there's something about just, like, the way that everything is put together in the memory, which I suppose makes sense because she's viewing it through the lens of, like, her Aphrodite sight thing.
1: Maybe it's just, like, Piper reads a lot of John Green novels.
0: I could see that happening.
1: And so this is, like, the memory she fabricates for herself?
0: This is, like, the right era for that, I think. Mm-hmm. She... So, I I guess the main thing for me here is that she meets her mom, right?
1: yeah th- this is a great little meeting, I think
0: same we uh we we talked a little bit about how we thought this would go last time, and I think our overall conclusion was that it probably wouldn't
1: go super well. and yeah, we were expecting like a lot of fighting
0: and honestly it it that's not how it happened at all. It was basically just like I mean, there was a little bit of argue like a little bit of heatedness, but it was all kind of under the surface. Because Piper's brain gets fucking overloaded immediately. (laughs) Like, this is a very relatable mood that just, like, her brain shuts off because she has a million different thoughts at once now that she's
1: finally meeting her mom. Yeah, this is kind of, like, this is a running theme now. Like, this was kind of what Percy was like in Lightning Thief, where he didn't really know how to react to being his dad for the first time. Leo thought that he would have this, like, massive screaming meltdown at his dad, but he just doesn't really have the... doesn't have it in him to do that. And Piper seems to be the same way.
0: Yeah, and there are all these slight differences that make it feel unique, but I think it, like, the fact that these are all so similar, since uh, it says something.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably... it's just one of those things where, like, you're that age, you assume that you will, like, be able to, like, have that big, like emotional, moment of emotional catharsis and it just doesn't really pan out like that because it's just too messy uh
0: huh I wonder if Jason will meet Zeus in his dreams
1: I, I, I feel like he has to, like yeah, we compl- have to complete the set,
0: yeah exactly this this dream is kind of great to me because it's really, it's really simple it's just like Aphrodite going shopping in the Medea store?
1: This is, like, I would say the most godly any of the Olympians have ever felt in this series. Really? Yeah, there's there's just a lot about the way that Aphrodite is written that really kind of brings that across to me. Yeah. There's a re- great line, like, towards the beginning of it where, um, uh, like, Piper says, wait, why are we in Medea's department store? Didn't this explode? And Aphrodite just kind of replies, like, offhandedly and kind of sadly, yep, it's just a memory now. That's probably why everything is discounted. (laughs) And, like, that, that has kind of a line of logic that makes sense if you squint at it. But, like, the way that she says it with such certainty and with that kind of, like, weight behind it makes it feel, it genuinely makes it feel like she is seeing things on a different plane to, like, a mortal would. Like, she knows something you don't and can't really know.
0: That's true This is like it, It's Honestly I would say It's on the same level As like Hestia Like the, the, the oh the, yeah The titular Last Olympian And Like th- I think this makes A lot of sense Because Aphrodite As is kind of like Reinforced Or maybe even just said to, For the first time If people don't know it She's literally like The oldest Olympian
1: Which Uh 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 What's up didn't we have a fucking sixty-year, like, Cold War followed by a year of open warfare over a prophecy that said a half-blood child of the eldest gods?
0: Uh, don't think about that. It too that- <laughs> <much>. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine.
1: the The real travesty here is that um, the the great prophecy specifically says uh, his choice in one of the lines. Which means that I now cannot uh, do what I wanted to, which was uh, theorized that Silena Beauregard was actually the hero from the prophecy.
0: God, wait. <laughs> That's like, okay, I hate to make, I, I keep making just like absolutely putrid comparisons, and this is going to be even worse. <laughs> this is like, this. you know how people are like, oh, actually, Neville Longbottom was the oh, hero. fuck of- me. <laughs> Was the one in the Harry Potter prophecy. <laughs> that has the same energy, but much better. It has the
1: same energy, except it's a good character from a good series.
0: Yeah. Man.
1: But yeah, the, the Sil- but unfortunately, Silena never gave any indication that uh, she wanted to like play around with pronouns or anything like that, so I've got no basis for asserting that she was actually the person from the prophecy.
0: I'll write my fanfiction about it. <laughs> there's, speaking of, like I guess, gender and self-image, there's a really great line here that I was not expecting from Aphrodite, where... Mm. She basically talks about how, like, she has, like, trouble, like, finding herself beautiful in, like, a natural way because she is just, like, constantly shifting and, like, yeah. she can't ever feel natural.
1: Yeah, it very much, like, for, for a book where we were, like, we were making fun of it for, like, oh, let's not do any feminist re-examinations of classical mythology, it is a, like, a very deft and very subtle way of... Talking about how you know Aphrodite probably to an extent does sometimes feel some discomfort from like the way that she ends up being objectified in a lot of mythology.
0: It's yeah, exactly, and also like imagine just like constantly shape shifting. You're the fucking living. You're the living personification of body dysmorphia.
1: There's a fucking there's a short story or a novel or something. I don't remember the title of it, but it's about like um, humans colonizing Mars, and Martians turn out to be like extremely people-pleasing shapeshifters uh-huh. and like they all, they're all they always like morphing their um, body because they're telepathically like scanning people to see like okay what would, what would you like me to look like and I think the end of the story is like one of them accidentally ends up in a crowd of people and dies because it just keeps trying to change itself to be like what everyone around it wants it to be like and like the stress kills it
0: that's and horrifying that is kind
1: of, kind of, it's horrifying and it's kind of the vibe I get from what Aphrodite is saying
0: and this is i mean like you said this is very
1: um i should check that that's not like it's like sure. a fucking hind yeah exactly i'm gonna i'm gonna rise for this in the background you keep talking
0: okay um i mean but also there's something very this is a mom talking to her daughter about like self-image issues and like it's a I don't know the the teenagers who will be reading this will be like oh like my body is also like weird and changing and like I yeah. have a hard time finding myself beautiful like that that's just very relatable I guess
1: to the yeah one hundred percent no this these results are all just fucking Martian Manhunter and Miss Martian oh no if anyone knows put it in the Discord
0: also. It must be strange to have your defining myth, one of your defining myths be that uh your dad came in the ocean and <laughs> then from that you sprouted up. Uh
1: yeah. Yeah, what was that? I watched a summary of that from I think overly sarcastic productions a while ago. It was like Aphrodite after being born and presumably taking the longest shower in human history.
0: <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. I mean <laughs> What, I mean, who is the, like, is this also just Gaia? Is the ocean part of the Earth? Or is, like, was there a different personification?
1: Uh, oh, yeah, because like, it wouldn't have been Poseidon. It wouldn't have been Poseidon. Yet.
0: No, I mean... Oh, wait,
1: no, there was, there was, um, like, a, a more ancient ocean creature that was mentioned in, um, Persiax and the Olympians. Poseidon was fighting it in the last Olympian.
0: I think it was a Titan, wasn't it? It was one of the Titans. So I think that might, that
1: might even be a little bit too early. Uh, you might be right. No, wait, because Aphrodite was like the last child of the Titans. She's no Titan. or guy in Arano. She says.
0: Hmm, that's true. Yeah,
1: it's fine. We can. We don't have to figure this out. Whatever. Who cares? People will yell at us about it if it's obvious.
0: Uh huh. But also with um, with that plus like, like with her being the eldest Olympian, plus, just like the whole thing that we learned about like. Aeneas being like the forebearer of Rome or whatever. Like uh-huh. I didn't, I I had no idea about this. But like, and being a child of of uh, Aphrodite, she's a perfect candidate to be like a main
1: character in this series in this way. Yeah, one hundred percent. Also, so much my theory that uh, Lupa was the wolf from the story of Romulus and Remus. Guess we're not going with that one.
0: Uh huh. Well, okay. <laughs> no, but. What is said is that he founded the city that would go on to become Rome. Didn't Romulus and Remus actually found Rome? Oh, you know what? You might, yeah, you might be right actually. So we we could still have that in there. Yeah. Ah, uh, my favorite, my favorite bit in these chapters is Leo is Piper screaming after she wakes up, and Leo waking up and yell and like yelling like, "Oh God, we're falling again," <laughs> <laughs> because, like. Yeah, historically you would have that trauma. is what's happened. You would have trauma about that, but after it happens ten fucking times, <laughs> yeah. what do you what do you think about these makeovers?
1: The the glow ups, I, I mean the the best one by far, obviously, is Coach Hedge, who has a fucking like bizarre neon nightmare outfit, and he's wearing like a zoot suit, which is I only know what that is from like one episode of Tom and Jerry. Uh huh. So I'm guessing it's very old and not very stylish at all.
0: I I think he looked pretty good in it. He also like, eats
1: the flower that's in his, his shirt pocket.
0: Uh huh. It's like the the bright yellow zoot suit with the yellow hat. It's fucking wild. <laughs> he sounds like he's styling. Leo is dressed like the magazine cover of like Dapper Boy Monthly. <laughs> Like, he's wearing the white collarless shirt with the fucking suspenders and, like, the pinstripe pants.
1: The, the vibe I get is, like, Tim Drake forgot to take his utility belt off. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> he's still got his fucking tool belt on over his outfit.
0: Yeah, yeah, also that. And Piper laughs at him and is like, I, I think my dad wore that to a premiere once. And, like... Oh man, and Jason just like he gets new shoes and a slight haircut because he's I, already perfect.
1: He's already perfect. This feels very strange from Aphrodite. Uh-huh. <laughs> given given the her approach to Percy and Annabeth's relationship, which was let's see how badly I can fuck this up cuz it'll be funny.
0: I mean, we It seems like she wants better things for her, her
1: literal daughter. That is probably a fair point. She does we not actually, do a little trolling when it comes to her own kids.
0: We actually do learn that, like... I guess to go back a little bit to the dream, because there's still more to talk about there. Oh, yeah. The, um, we do learn that like, she never told Tristan that she was a god.
1: Which honestly seems like maybe the best policy for this kind of thing. Uh-huh. Because she is entirely right when she says, yeah, finding that out would probably fucking break someone. Like, it it fucks up Thalia's mom quite badly. It fucks it up fuck, Luke's mom. It fucks her up, yeah. Man. I mean, Leo's mom and Percy's mom seem a bit more well-adjusted about it, but it just doesn't seem like a risk worth taking.
0: Yeah, those are the two instances of, like, like, the best-case scenario, you'll either die in a fire, <laughs> die and get taken to to Hades, or, like, have to live your whole life, like, raising a child you know will have to eventually leave you. Uh, but, but I mean, like, other than just, like, the normal way that that works. We'll, but, have, like, to,
1: we'll have to leave you at, like, age 12 because they're being murdered by monsters.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> or, and we'll have to marry an abusive man who's very
1: smelly. Well, I guess on the other hand, it's it's a little bit irresponsible Cause if you don't tell them you're a god, they're not gonna know what the fuck is happening when the monsters start targeting their kids, and they're not gonna know to take precautions about that. Yeah, I
0: guess, I guess if you're like a, ch- if you're like one of the three, like one of the big three, I think you definitely should. It gets a little shakier with everyone else. I feel like.
1: I suppose that's true. Yeah, because it gets more intense the more powerful you are. Never mind that Aphrodite is apparently the oldest Olympian.
0: Uh huh. <laughs> I also think that like. Oh okay actually I said earlier that the funniest line here was Leo when Leo woke up. I think yeah. actually the funniest <laughs> I don't know why this just feels like a moment of like auto writing <laughs> where like Rick Riordan was just like writing the obvious thing the next thing that came into his head even if it didn't make any fucking sense. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> Piper says like the Mount the Mount Diablo looks so small from far away. But mountains are deceptive. It's probably much bigger up close. <laughs>
1: the fucking mountains.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, Piper, that's how it works. <laughs> when, you, when, you're far away, when you're far away from something, it's really small. But when you're up close to it, it gets bigger.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Cut us cut some slack. Her mother is Aphrodite. <laughs> That's fair that being said we we learn a lot about again going back to like Aphrodite feeling like more godly than a lot of the other ones I feel like the way that she expands on how her domain works into being like yeah I, I have a lot of uh, pull over like willpower and possibility because love kind of drives people to do these things like that feels more metaphysical than the way that the gods usually uh, kind of express themselves like it's usually I'm the one who can shoot lightning or I'm the one with Aquaman powers yeah like it feels it feels more weird and abstract in a way that makes her feel like like a higher being
0: oh definitely Aphrodite is being super well defined here and it's it's interesting just because of like the way she was previously portrayed here in the series
1: yeah 100% and it's also like I feel like this is pretty much where we wanted the uh quote unquote not like other girls stuff with Piper to end up. Where Aphrodite is like kind of almost splitting the difference between them and admitting that uh yeah she is sometimes like quite shallow and conceited because that's how she like relaxes. And like that that's something that like some of her kids can do. Not all of her kids need to feel boxed in by it. It's they're all like different but valid ways of being a child of Aphrodite
0: yeah i love that she like i don't know i love that she talks about being like shallow and conceited as like her coping mechanism or just like how she lets off stress some
1: people set up teenagers to kill each other over their romance to cope
0: but it's also literally like (laughs) can't fucking deal with this i am going bimbo mode (laughs) (laughs) no you are that is literally what she's saying And this is why she's the patron goddess of Unwise Girls.
1: This, yes, correct.
0: I, would you, I don't know if I trust this potion of removed trauma.
1: I, I kind of like the potion of removed trauma just from a like, as, as much as the, these, this chapter is like, she's very spooky and metaphysical. This is also like by far the most humanizing thing that Aphrodite has ever done because like this is not being done because like oh he can't tell the world about us or oh he can't remember my beauty it would totally break him or something like that it is like no i know this dude he is like hanging on by a thread this has fucked him up so badly that you probably just need to wipe his memory at this point yeah it's a it's a fucked up thing to suggest but it does indicate that like She knows this guy, she cares about him, and is in her own really fucking weird way trying to take care of him.
0: You get the sense that she wouldn't do this for, like, every single person, that this is because Tristan is, like, especially susceptible to, like, he just can't, he can't fucking deal.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It it builds on everything we learned about, like, him saying that, you know, if he found out that this kind of thing, like, gods and demons and magic were real, he would kind of break down because he would use it to just like blame for everything that's ever gone wrong in his life.
0: Yeah. I Yeah, it's it's great. I I love Aphrodite.
1: I love Aphrodite. I don't know if Piper should use the potion to remove trauma.
0: <laughs> I don't know about it. Yeah,
1: I I, I guess we'll see how it goes. As a thing that Aphrodite does, I like it. I
0: also like this stream is good because it kind of solidifies Piper's thing, which has been showing up more and more, is that she just like is able to figure out mythology things. She's very clever about this, (laughs) and she does the ultimate figuring out a mythology thing by realizing who their enemy is and putting together the pieces where nobody else could.
1: Pieces which, I mean, were relatively obvious.
0: (laughs) It's like having like you have all the corner pieces in the jigsaw puzzle. You have the center. You have you have like one piece you have to slot in left, and it's the name. And, but I don't know. Nobody else could do it, apparently.
1: The name of the person who always appears as, like, an Earth effigy. Uh huh. Like, as who Festus literally told Leo was the villain. But yeah. But Leo wasn't listening.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, but it, uh, I, I guess this is just another, I like, I enjoy this aspect of Piper's character. Yeah. Do we have anything else we want to say before we wrap up?
1: I actually do want to quickly rewind to the Jason chapters, and just talk about like the the way that Aeolus's palace just is a cool setting and location. Yeah. Like I just I love that um, that the touch was added where like this is clearly a big flying castle for people who can fly because they didn't bother to put any fucking floors in it. Uh huh. Like it it helps differentiate it from just a temple with some satellite dishes bolted to it. Like it feels like this, this is a place where shit happens outside of the plot.
0: Yeah, very true. This is this is one of those great Rick Riordan settings. This is like it's a lot like Hades. Like that's that's Mm -hmm. a really good one. I I, and I especially love the harpies like setting up the floor and stuff. The Hafis
1: building the most horrible rickety like bridge for them. And like it's it's made out of of...
0: like discarded scrap and like squares of sod.
1: And they have to like grab Coach Hedge when he like arrives a little bit later because he keeps trying to eat the floor out from under them.
0: Uh huh.
1: See, I I like I like that setting a lot.
0: It kind of I don't know. There's something about like the auras. I want to know more about this place. Like just like outside of the story. Because mm-hmm. there's something about the auras being, like, the face of everything and the harpies being, like, the proletariat of the fucking Sky Castle. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, oh, they're ugly, so they have to do all the manual labor.
1: Like, I don't know. There's something going on there. I mean, it, it... One, once again, Rick Riordan hates the news media.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> or is he's got this weird plastic faced I think he calls him a Ken doll. Yeah. Who, like, has all the... the pretty interns around him and then gets everyone else to do all the manual labor.
0: Yeah, I I didn't really think about that. But yeah, that's exactly right, huh?
1: <laughs> I think that's everything I've got.
0: I think so on my end, too. But before we wrap up, I want to talk about uh, a special day it is today. A special day? It's the Lightning Thief's 17th birthday. Oh, shit. On, on the day this is being recorded, uh, the Lightning Thief has turned 17.
1: Damn it. If we started doing this... Wait, we did do this podcast a year ago. Uh We should have said that it reached 16 against all odds last year.
0: I think we did. Did we? We didn't say that so much, but I think we did maybe... I don't remember if we did or not. Who who cares? Um, (laughs) But this is an article that is entitled uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the Lightning Thief at 17. An anniversary celebration designed to make you feel old. (laughs) Uh, And here's here's a list of just fun facts uh uh-huh. percy jackson since the release of the lightning thief has appeared or been mentioned in over 20 books jesus uh, christ if the lightning thief were a real person living in the united states it would be old enough to drive but not old enough to vote uh and then i like the third one don't think about this too hard but if percy jackson were a real person he would have been de- born one or two years before the release of the lightning thief huh he's also been around for four different u.s presidential administrations
1: <laughs> wait the lightning thief. if the lightning thief was a real person it would just be loot.
0: oh you're right well he was old enough to vote i guess by the end even
1: that is true he was uh an adult who asked a 15 year old if she loved him
0: uh-huh <laughs> uh, the lightning thief was released two months after the first youtube video two months after star wars episode three came out
1: two masterpieces in the same year incredible
0: three months before twilight hmm. uh it's one year older than the Wii, two years older than Netflix streaming. It's 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 old now. It's old now is what this article is saying.
1: It's old. We're old for talking about it. You're all old for listening to us talk about it.
0: That's right. <laughs> I like the speaking of old. Uh, the Lightning Thief is also eleven years older than Stranger Things. If you know, you know. Okay, okay, I get it. There's there's a character named Eleven. Oh yeah. Uh, Walker Scoble, the actor playing Percy Jackson, is four years younger than The Lightning
1: Thief. Jesus Christ. Okay, that's and, sobering.
0: And I, I think I just wanted to quickly draw attention to this birthday. Happy birthday, Lightning
1: Thief. You're a wonderful book. You spawned a Happy great birthday, series. Happy birthday, Lightning Thief.
0: Uh, but I think that does it for us today.
1: Guys, can you imagine if we had like a really shit set of chapters on the birthday of The Lightning Thief? That would that'd be sad. We had, we had good <laughs> ones this week. It's a good thing we're off Kane Chronicles. Uh-huh. <laughs> Our intro and
0: outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix.
1: Our cover art is by Vera at insmouth underscore in on Twitter.
0: We are brought to you by the Moonshot Podcast Network. You can find them at Twitter.com at Moonshot
1: Pods. Plural. Moonshot Pod is a different thing.
0: That's right. If you'd like to reach us, you can check us out on Twitter.com slash unwise girls. There we've got links to our email, Discord server, personal Twitters, et cetera, et cetera. If you want to support us, you can go and leave us a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. We'll read it if someone leaves one. We will, if it's if it's good. <laughs> well well, the very I don't know if we'll read it on the podcast, but we'll read all of them in our in our hearts, of course. <laughs> and you can go to patreon.com slash unwise there for Dollar Month you can get the discord role of Camp Counselor. For three dollars a month you can get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus as well as all of our bonus content.
1: Uh yeah, last that includes our bonus podcast, Nectar of the Pods. Uh, in the latest episode we had a real cheery one where I talked about like blacking out and losing a day while playing Dyson Sphere program. Uh horrifically tasteless early twenty tens SJW jokes in Homestuck. Uh, and Coney twenty twelve. That's right.
0: <laughs> uh, we also will have things covered. We've had episodes covering uh, like adjacent content. Like we watched Hercules. We watched fucking the Gods of Egypt movie for some reason. We're going to do more stuff almost certainly. We, probably we Jason- also
1: watched the animated prequel to Gods of Egypt, The Prince of Egypt.
0: Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> uh we- huh, <laughs> exactly. We'll probably do like Jason and the Argonauts sometime. Mm-hmm. And our plan is also to cover the is to do individual episodes just on the the, the Rick Riordan detective series. Which apparently exist I'm still
1: not one hundred percent sure that this is real.
0: I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> uh, and for five dollars a month you can get the Discord role of Venus's chosen, as well as all the bonus content, and a shout out at the end of episodes.
1: Speaking of, this week we'd like to thank Tana, Mercy, Veronica Friend, and Erica.
0: Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode, see you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye. Bye.